Hi, everybody. Welcome to Moving Mountains OT podcast. This is Lizzie Harnett, the owner and occupational therapist of Moving Mountains Occupational Therapy. Um, And I am back. It's been quite a while since I've jumped on and done an episode. Um, There's just been a lot of moving pieces and a lot of business growth, which is good and things are very busy. Um, But definitely jumping back into the podcast was something on my mind and something on my to-do list that I wanted to get done. So here I am. Um, I'm probably going to batch record a bunch of episodes and then post them. So if I'm talking about something more recent, um, you may be hearing this at a different time. Um, But that's just how I'm going to try and put these out there. Um, And I hope that some of the topics that I dive into are interesting um, and possibly helpful to you or your family. Um, So this might be a multi-episode topic. Uh, I would say besides feeding, this is probably one of the bigger topics I see every day. Um, And even just as a person, as a human being, uh, we all deal with this every single day, all the time. Um, and it's probably one of the biggest occupations that we engage in. (laughs) Um, and when there's dysfunction there or something causing dysfunction, it's the occupation that is likely going to cause, you know, trouble in our life. Um, so I'm going to be talking a little bit about sleep. Um, OTs kind of have owned this occupation, um, but a lot of other professions can deal with sleep. Um, but it's, it's kind of one of those things that gets lost when you're talking to some sort of healthcare provider or some sort of therapist. Um, it's, it's, it's that thing that just gets forgotten about and it's, it's, um, hard because it really does impact everything. Um, so I just want to go over a few things before I jump right in. So, um, sleep changes as you get from when you're a newborn to when you're an old adult, um, as with all occupations. Um, so the average sleep time that we should be getting, and I'm just going to kind of go through a couple categories. Um, as a newborn, you should be getting, they should be getting 14 to 17 hours of average sleep a day. Infant, um, that's 12 to 15 hours. A toddler should be 11 to 14 hours. A preschooler should be 10 to 13 hours. A school age child, nine to 11 hours. And then we kind of start approaching around teenage years, that kind of eight hour, um, window. So from teenagers, eight to 10 hours is average. Um, and then young adults, seven to nine, um, adults up to age 64, 65 should be 79. And then above 65, uh, average is about seven to eight. So you kind of see as you go through the lifespan that, the amount of time you're spending sleeping decreases. Um, 
why is that part of it is is very obvious obviously as a newborn there's a lot of growth happening a lot of physical changes that are occurring and those happen during sleep so that's why your newborn sleeps half of of a 24-hour day um as well as you know the way we sleep too also gets broken up um you know most often i see uh, is uh, infants, toddlers, which is primarily who I see, um, you know, they're sleeping, you know, nine to 10 hours a day at night. I mean, they're sleeping about average nine to 10 hours a night um, and then one to two hours uh, with a nap. Um, also, you can kind of see too, when I gave you the general um, guidelines, um, that there really is a significant change from kind of that preschool to school age, um, about like one to two hours. And that's kind of the idea that these children are losing their nap during the day, um, because they're building a lot of physical endurance and things like that. So as they get older and their bodies have matured more physically and mentally, they can tolerate a little less sleep and, um, that's kind of how it goes throughout, throughout your life. Um, so that's sleep duration. Now what happens during sleep? I'm sure that people have heard about non-REM, non-REM sleep and REM sleep. REM sleep is rapid eye movement. Um, and you may have heard things like, oh, that's when your eyes move very funny and that's where the dreams happen. Um, and that is true. Um, but there's, there's important stages to the sleep cycle. Um, and I think there was also more um, general knowledge of that's being put out about these um, sleep cycles. Um, so I just want to kind of go through it really quick. Um, so in non-REM sleep, there's three stages. Um, kind of your your... The first stage is kind of like that really, really light sleep, like you're starting to fall asleep, um, but you're pretty easily awakened. Um, stage two, um, depending on what res- what resource you're looking at, they consider that light sleep as well. Um, but really what happens uh, in stage two is you're kind of your, your heart rate starts to slow down and your body temperature starts to drop. Um, and you're less easily awakened at that point. Um, but it still, it still could happen. Um, and then there's stage three, which is more consistent across the board, um, which is your deep sleep. It takes a while for you to actually wake up. Um, a lot of people consider this like the restorative stage is that that's where a lot of the recovery and healing goes if you're recovering from you know a heavy workout or an injury or trauma um that's the period of time that's very important for those um processes to happen um and then you go into your REM sleep um Again, that's the deepest stage. That's when you're most difficult to awake. Um, that's when you likely have the dreams. Um, your brain becomes more active, obviously. There's a lot of emotional uh, activation that's going on in your brain. Um, there are studies that show that that's where some of your higher 
capabilities of thinking take place and and um it's kind of also where you process things into your long-term memory um and uh there is studies that show uh as you get older you spend less time in REM sleep which is kind of interesting in how you think about you know memory development and and, and things like dementia um that happens in geriatrics um so you kind of have those those four stages non-rem sleep of three stages and you have your one stage of rem sleep you don't kind of go through that progressively you kind of go up and down um you know through waves uh and most most if you're thinking about like in let's talk about like an adult um you're thinking maybe about an eight hour night's sleep um generally your non-rem sleep is comprised of four to seven hours per night um and that REM sleep is maybe about an hour and a half of that um sleep through an eight hour sleep um i do believe and you can't quote me on this um that toddlers do have much more REM sleep and it kind of shifts again as you get older like i said like you the studies show that you lose REM sleep for when you're more in uh an older adult so that's kind of the sleep cycle um and you go up and down um why do people care about this <laughs> and care about the stages? Why do um, all these like fitness trackers track your sleep cycles? What What's important to note when you're as a person without injury or disability looking at these kind of trackers? Um, you know, it's important that you're getting I would say, and let's just stick with typical adults for the minute. Um, I would say it's important that you're getting an average of that seven to nine hours of sleep um, per night. Um, I think it's important that you're kind of getting the full ups and downs of the waves of the different stages um, because each of those stages has purpose and meaning and you have to go through all those stages. and I think that it's, uh, you know, kind of, uh, it's not not important that you don't get enough, you know, of a certain stage, but every night is different. And, you know, I would take, when you're looking at your data, I would look at the bigger, longer picture of the, the sleep cycles and how how well you're sleeping through the night i would not just look at one data point of one night's sleep and be like oh that's terrible and i'm gonna have these massive um consequences from not getting enough deep sleep or not getting enough REM sleep um but i also will share with you um i did before i look out this podcast i went looking for um, things that maybe these like fitness tracker people put out about sleep, um, because many people are very interested in their sleep. Um, and so, uh, I found this article that Fitbit actually put out and, um, here's some statistics. So they say the average Fitbit user, uh, goes to bed around 1130, wakes up at 717 AM. 
um, and the time they're asleep, and this sounds really terrible, the time they sleep are six hours and 38 minutes. Um, they broke it down even to what REM sleep, what the, the Fitbit is capturing. The amount of REM sleep was about 21% of that time. Um, the amount of light sleep was about 52% of that time, and the amount of deep sleep was about 15 of the time um based on you know looking at different articles and things and my own knowledge from school and from classes and things those kind of like percents seem on point um with the average but definitely that time duration of six hours six and a half hours um that's definitely not not long enough <laughs> um i would be very very tired um, what's interesting too, it says, uh, according to the Fitbit, uh, study that data they took, and, uh, this is actually from 2017, that women are sleeping a little bit longer than men. Um, and it's actually saying women have 22%, uh, REM sleep versus men is 21%. So we are big dreamers, us women, um, you know, our brains are more active. Um, and that's kind of interesting because of the differences between men and women. But, um, uh, you know, in their study, they also talked about like different generations, uh, like ages go to bed at different times. Um, you know, the baby boomers are going to bed much earlier than the Gen Z people at midnight. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So, uh, there's that component of it. Um, so you kind of have an idea now of what normal sleep is and some things that impact our normal sleep. And I guess I, I will, I will hone in on this episode <laughs> on the fly, be more about like your typical sleep and, and you as maybe an individual or just insight to your family about, um, how, how having difficulties with sleep or a lack of sleep impact your daily life rather than kind of getting more into maybe specific details with, um, kids with atypical development or disabilities. Um, so, uh, so when you're not getting sleep, <laughs> it kind of snowballs into these different effects that your you're likely not healing from the previous day um physically emotionally mentally um and there's a lot of things when an ot looks at sleep things we consider. So we tend to, and this is also how I walk through kind of like a sleep assessment with my families when there's, you know, concerns about their sleep. Um, I look at sleep before sleep even happens. Uh, we're looking at what are the activities that, that are occurring, you know, a couple hours before your bedtime. What is the environment set up like, um, when are you shutting down that technology before bed? Um, and then actually getting into bed and then, then comes in that whole play of your body kind of trying to regulate itself and start to fall asleep and start to go through these cycles. And 
I feel like as an OT, we tend to be more concerned about what happens before you actually, you know, put your head on the pillow. Um, and there's a lot of different factors. Um, I find that if you're, and even myself, and I'm very guilty of it, if I'm on my phone or watching TV very close to when I know I should be getting to bed, I have a much harder time falling asleep. All those lightweight, light waves from all the technology are very stimulating to your brain, to your visual system, to your sensory system. And depending on too what you're doing, um, like if you're just kind of half paying attention to a show on Netflix and you're, you, you're mentally kind of relaxing, which is good. That's probably a better situation to be in than if you're constantly like scrolling through social media or, or something that's more, um, you know, stimulating to your, to your brain and your, your thought processes, that's going to make it much harder for you to sleep. Um, so that's something we look at, you know, what is, what are, what are your routines before you head to bed besides the technology? Do you tend to be a person that showers before bed? Um, do you tend to be a person that maybe eats right away and then goes to bed? Um, you know, showering could be a good thing, but it's also a personal thing too. Sometimes people find showers more like stimulating, um, and maybe that wakes them up rather than, you know, a nice hot shower that's relaxing at the end of a long, hard day. I think part of it is very individualistic. Um, the same with the feeding though, I do feel like, um, you maybe should not like eat a huge meal and then fall asleep. I think you need to spend a little bit more time being upright to kind of let everything move and digest and travel, um, to kind of set your body up to relax more before you go to bed. Um, you know, what does your environment look like? Are you sleeping with the TV on? Are you sleeping by your phone? Um, there's crazy studies out there and I'm not sure about how I feel about them. Um, but even if like you sleep by your phone, that's doing something to stimulate your brain with the like electromagnetic waves. And, um, there's probably some truth in that. So maybe you should put your phone, you know, away from you, even if you use it as like your alarm in the morning. Um, also consistency of your routine. So, um, you know, do you go to bed at the same time every night or do you vary it up? Um, you know, also lo location. I tend to be one that's very guilty about putting on a show, half watching it. I'm relaxing, which is good and getting ready for sleep, um, which is what you should kind of be winding down and doing, you know, an hour or two before you plan, um, to go to sleep. But, um, it relaxes me so much or, or I just check out mentally and it lets me relax so much. I just, I fall asleep on the couch and then that's not where I'm most comfortable in. And what happens is you wake up in the middle of the night and then the cycle gets interrupted and you start all over again. And then, you know, for me, sometimes it's very difficult. You know, once I'm awake, I want to be awake. Um, I think that, uh, stress, prior to sleep 
um, and your mental status and your trauma experiences before you go to sleep that night, I think that really impacts your ability to kind of self-regulate and to relax and to be able to get that sleep. Um, I will speak with my personal experiences too. When I worked in EMS, my sleep was very segmented, almost kind of like the waking up in the middle of the night, waking up in the middle of the night on the couch example. Um, you know, if I was working, um, you know, an overnight, I might sleep whenever I can. And I would definitely have interrupted cycles, obviously, because there'd be calls. Sometimes I would sleep through the night, which was nice. And we all would want that. Um, but also just think about to the nature of the, the work and having to work at odd times. Um, you know, a lot to why we sleep at night has to do with sunlight and vitamin D and melatonin production. So when you're an overnight worker or something like that, your, um, productions of those, um, of melatonin is affected and it dysregulates you. And we're very creatures of habit and system. Like we're not supposed to be nocturnal, like certain animals are. Um, so it's, it's, there's a lot to consider leading up to the actual sleep. And I find that that's where OT could be most beneficial and most helpful. Um, it's the area where I feel that even if you're listening to this and you want to make individual changes to your own life and sleep, um, not necessarily seeking out therapy is to really look at those events and those routines that lead up to sleep. Um, you know, once you kind of get to that point where you have a good routine established and you're kind of going to sleep at a regular you know, regular time and you're, you're doing, you're separating yourself from the technology, whatever that means for you. And your, your head's hitting the pillow, you know, give it some time. Um, you know, I used to, and here's some helpful tips. I used to listen to meditation. I used to use deep breathing. Um, and these are also things I recommend too, as an OT, um, not necessarily for kids, but, uh, meditation, deep breathing, um, you know, uh, sometimes like these subliminal, uh, meditations. I was doing that for a while, which is quite, quite interesting research, um, because it's, it's things that are going through your subconscious and it, it's, it's can lead to like some interesting dreams. <laughs> um, but, uh, once you kind of settle in, you kind of, you know, get comfortable and you're relaxed. I feel like biology generally takes over and, uh, you kind of have that, that sleep. Um, I definitely think another topic to discuss is night terrors for young children, because that's definitely a stage they go through. Um, and that's very difficult because it interrupts their sleep. Um, I think another topic that we could potentially talk about is how a disability or an injury can impact sleep. Um, because there's a lot of physical components to sleep in terms of like positioning and getting comfortable. Um, you know, for your everyday kind of sleep knowledge, you know, what, what's, what's comfortable for you on a regular basis. You know, if you're a belly sleeper or a side sleeper or 
Oh, it sounds so terrible. Back sleeper. I cannot. I, 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 if I had to sleep on my back, personally, I don't think I'd get good sleep. Um, so there's physical considerations, you know, positioning and things leading up to, like I said, your head hitting the pillow. Once you're kind of in that comfortable space and your head hits the pillow and you're mentally, you kind of got some relaxation things figured out, biology will eventually take over. Granted, there could be environmental distractions waking you up, um, loud sirens. Um, you know, uh, I woke up one night, a tree fell across the street and it was very loud. Um, you might wake up if you potentially hear, you know, noises outside your house. Um, and, uh, it's a good thing that your body's waking you up because, you know, we're, we're an animal species and we have those fight or flight responses and that's kind of what's activating and we need to assess, you know, what's the danger. Um, so it's important to also have that too and not necessarily be like, oh, that's impacting. But if you're waking up at every little, like, you know, like for example, my cat, cat at night likes to, she's not, cats are nocturnal generally. So they like to be active at night. So if I wake up to like the sound of her paws, which is a very quiet sound, maybe I have something more like a sleep, a sleep pathology going on. Um, but if she's like knocking something heavy off the counter, then that's more of that normal fight or flight. I'm I'm awakening to assess the danger. Um, so I hope that kind of was helpful information about what sleep, how much you should be sleeping. What are the sleep cycles? Why are the sleep cycles important? Um, you know, why do we care so much about sleep as OTs? It, it impacts your growth. It impacts your mental capacity. It impacts your physical recovery. Um, and then, you know, what's important for OTs to address in order for you to get that sleep? Or what is it important for you to address in order for you to get adequate sleep, which is all the kind of before the head hits the pillow. Um, you know, if there's chronic sleep issues and there's chronic medical things going on, there are sleep studies out there that uh, neurologists can uh, perform. Um, and often those are done at the hospital or like sleep clinics. Um, and they're kind of measuring these like highly technical brain waves that are going on during your sleep cycles. Um, and they're trying to figure out a common thing. Um, just put this out there and again, not to go on a tangent for a different episode. Common thing that happens that I see with kids is often they're not, their sleep is impacted because they're having seizures at night and they don't know it. And that's where sometimes the sleep studies and the sleep cycles come in really helpful because they're able to look at those brain activity and figure it out. And if it's something like a seizure, there are treatments and things that can help us sleep um, so that it's not a chronic lack of sleep. Um, because you know, and I know that when we don't sleep well, we don't perform well. Um, our mental health is not well. We're very lethargic and unhappy, <laughs> cranky, irritable. 
Um, their studies show that people who don't sleep well um, tend to gain more weight. Uh, if you don't sleep well, you might be stressing out about when I'm going to sleep. When do I get to go to sleep next? Um, it's just, like I said, anything with sleep is just a snowball effect into other things. Um, and so I think that this episode was a good starting point to um, talk about sleep and what it is and why it's important. Um, and kind of talk about that whole idea of why, you know, why do people track their sleep cycles when it comes to all these like fitness trackers and these apps and things. Um, and all the reasons I mentioned before are kind of those reasons. Um, and I, I think it's a good thing. Um, but I also could feel like it could be overwhelming to you as an individual or a consumer. Um, so, Stay tuned. I I hope that you enjoy this episode and I hope you enjoy the more that are soon to come. Um, and uh, if you have any questions, concerns, you can always reach us on uh, the website, movingmountainsoccupationaltherapy.com um, or easily Instagram at movingmountainsot. Um, and we can go from there and I can clarify any questions, concerns, um, or service needs that you may have. Thank you. Be well. Take care.